welcome here. It's good to have you here um, on this beautiful Sunday. A couple announcements before we start to sing. Uh, a couple schedule things. Our Harvest Missions Festival is November 13, so you can go ahead and put that on your calendar. We'll be uh, having Kent and Kedron Miller, uh, who are some of the missionaries that we support, and they're in Berlin, Germany. They're going to be sharing with us that day, and so we will have a kind of a, a normal uh, Sunday morning, and then we'll uh, do lunch together and, and have our banquet then and hear from them uh, after that. So uh, so that's November 13th to, to get that on your calendar. Also, October 30th, the ladies are invited to uh, a baby shower for Mark and Marilee um, at 2 p.m., uh, and that's, that's in your uh, bulletin as well, too. Um, garage parties, we have our, our locations set up. If you're still interested in helping pull off one of those, um, talk to myself or Joanne or just call up the office. It takes a, a lot of people to do one of those well. And, uh, and so I want to let you know about that. Um, also, last thing, we just to, to remember uh, Heidi Schmidt and her family. Many of you know Garvey Schmidt. He was pastor here for many years, and his mother recently passed away. And um, so there, there's more details um, on that, but just to, to remember them uh, as they, yeah, grieve the loss of grandma. So let's do a time of prayer together. Word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship, to learn, to gather, to have fun together, uh, to study your word, uh, and to enjoy your presence. God, we invite you here to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Let's stand and keep our focus on Jesus. Think about what he has for you today, what he wants to say to you and uh, to our congregation. We can be more like him.
trust you, Lord. God, we do trust you. And we want to pursue it with your relentless love, God. We trust you. You are our strength, our song. You are our victory. God, we just look to you. And we pray that we will have that same kind of relentless love for those around us. In Jesus' name. Thank you that you are high above it all. You see it all. You see us. You know exactly what it is we need and where we need to be. Thank you. Please join me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, like so many mornings, we arrive with just a week's worth of joys and sorrows and thoughts and distractions. And So God, we just take a couple minutes now, and Lord, whatever 
whatever it is that's just filling our, our, our mind with thoughts and, and wanting to distract us, God, we just give that to you. We just lay that at your feet, Lord. And God, we just say we're excited for this morning. We're excited um, to hear from you. God, our, our desire is to hear you, to experience you. And so, God, we just say we're, we're excited. We want to hear from you this morning. Lord, it's also our desire that we be in right relationship with you. So, God, if there's any way that we have grieved your Holy Spirit this last week, we ask that you would show us that. Maybe we know it already. And God, we want to apologize and repent and, and set things right. Lord, we pray for our families. That you would be Lord for, for everyone in our family, even extended family, that you would be Lord of their life, that you would be Lord of our life. God, we, we welcome you into our homes. Lord, we pray for our community, for our neighbors. Each of us ha have a neighbor who could use some prayer this morning. Lord, we pray for our neighbors. God, we pray for our nation, especially as we enter into a, a time of electing leaders. God, we pray that, that people who love you, honor you, serve you, would be given authority and power and influence in our country. Lord, we pray for the missionaries that we love and support and learn from. You would encourage them this week. Or better yet, that you would show us how to encourage them, that you would prompt us in a way to encourage them. And Lord, this morning as we get ready to, uh, to finalize our, our, our study on the book of Ruth, God, what, what, what's the message for each of us, Lord? By your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring a unique message to each of us. Because you can do that. And so, Lord, we just, we open up our hearts and our minds to you at this time. We say, here am I. We love you and we worship you. Amen. Ushers.
worship team well 
today we wrap up the book of Ruth. We've spent the last four or five weeks uh, studying the, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a, um, it's a rather short book. It, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, we talked earlier about timeline-wise. This happens during the era of the judges. So Israel has already moved into the promised land. Um, but it won't be another 200 years before Saul becomes king. So they've got this era of about 200 years where they're under the, the leadership of various judges. And just like hyper dysfunctional, bad time. Like not a lot of gold stars going up on the name chart for this one. Um, just and it, So read the book of Judges if you just kind of want to understand kind of er, the era that this was in. But, but then Ruth kind of zooms in and gives us a little bit of a, a story that was happening during this era. Uh, Ruth chapter 1 gives us the, the background. The, Ruth chapter 1 is very sad and depressing. You, you have this guy, uh, Elimelech, and there's a famine in the land. And so he takes his wife and his two sons, and maybe it was a good decision, maybe not. I'm kind of inclined to, inclined to think not. But he basically abandons God's people and Christian fellowship, and he moves over to uh, a very pagan region of the world because of economics and um, so while he's there his two sons marry local gals but he eventually dies uh, and then his two sons eventually die and then we're left with these three widows uh, one of whom is a foreigner and so Naomi is one of them and she hears that there's um, that there's been rain that there's crops back in Israel so she decides to go back and her two daughter-in-laws one decides to stay and Ruth decides to go with her And so chapter 1 ends with Ruth and Naomi just coming back into Bethlehem. uh, And it says that it's at the beginning of the harvest season. So that kind of gives us a time marker. But chapter 1, generally speaking, is just really sad and depressing and kind of heavy. And that's that's our intro, chapter 1. Chapter 2 covers one day. Chapter 2 covers the first day of harvest. And we kind of have three distinct conversations. Uh, Ruth goes out into the field and she, she starts to, to glean, which is basically she can pick up the scraps in the field so that her and Naomi won't starve. And uh, Boaz comes out. They have a conversation. Boaz is very nice to her. Uh, there's another conversation at lunch or first date or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Ruth works hard all day and then she has a conversation with Naomi in the evening. And, uh, and really that's just day one. Chapter three then jumps ahead to the end of harvest. And chapter 3 is, is kind of our um, um, interesting uh, chapter. Um, in chapter 3, uh, harvest is just about done. Um, Ruth and Naomi think that Boaz is a really great guy, and they would love to see uh, Ruth and Boaz, uh, you know, hook up. But Boaz is just not getting the clue whatsoever. And so Naomi, the mother-in-law, devises this plan that by many accords could be considered sketchy and uh, tells Ruth to get dressed up and go have this midnight conversation with Boaz. And um, anyways, and so uh, that's, that's chapter 3. And uh, so that's two months later. And, and we ended chapter 3 with kind of this cliffhanger, you know, because in all the good dramas, you have the, the two lovers, and they find out that they love each other, and they want to be together forever, and all these things, but there's always, like, that one final obstacle, you know, to, like, true love and happily ever after, and that kind of thing, and that's what happened, that's how chapter 3 ends, because as much as everyone in the party would love to see Ruth and Boaz, um, you know, get together, there's this other guy who has first dibs 
on this whole redemption process. So chapter 4, at the first read, it looks kind of boring because it's basically courtroom drama. But, but it's actually, like, totally fascinating and kind of the culmination of this, this full story. And so that's what we're going to go through today. Uh, at the end of chapter 3, Boaz has made the promise that he'll deal with the matter swiftly. He's going to deal with it today. And Naomi and Ruth say, all right, we trust you. And uh, so hopefully they'll, they'll kind of have an answer in 24 hours. And so Ruth and Naomi are just kind of waiting anxiously for the news. And Boaz heads to town to get this matter settled. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. All right, let's stop there. City gate, this is where a lot of the, the, the legal business was conducted. This is a very busy, active place, not just because people are going in and out, uh, but there's judgments and, and discussions that are happening in place. Uh, some people, you know, maybe you're having to pay your taxes, that kind of thing. A lot of activity around the city gate. And Boaz knows that if he's going to meet this guy, this is kind of the place to do it. So he heads to the city gate, he sits down, and he waits. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. We never know the guy's name. He's just kind of, you know, in Hebrew, this is what's-his-face, stop by. Like, we, we never find out who this guy is. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Once again, we don't know who this guy is. Uh, turn aside and sit down. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Boaz has gathered everything for proper legal channels. Uh, Boaz, there's no cutting corners. I mean, he's not going to marry Ruth secretly and then ask for forgiveness later, right? He's not doing back alley deals with people. He, he's not, you know, speaking to the ten elders first and trying to sway their opinion. Everything is proper, legal, thorough um, process. There's no sketchiness in how Boaz um, goes through this. Verse 3, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elmelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, so this is Nameless Guy, and he said, I will redeem it. So Nameless Man sees an opportunity to buy some land, you know, expand his farming operation. Looks like a good business deal. He's going to buy it from, you know, the widow that he's related to. And, um, and Boaz indicates, you know, you're first in line for this, so you get first dibs. So the guy's interested and says, I'll redeem it. But then... You know, I'm not sure if that's exactly how Boaz wanted it to go. Maybe, maybe not. But, but then Boaz adds this. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So suddenly... For nameless, faceless redeemer, dude, not such a good deal. Um, modern example of kind of how I'm understanding this: uh, nameless, fameless, faceless guy, whatever, has one kid, right? Entire farm will go to the one child. But 
you know, there's an opportunity to, to, to marry a widow. She already has a couple kids. He gets maybe another 40, 80 acres of the land of the deal. But in now having three children, the farming operation has to get divided three ways, not one way. And when it gets divided three ways, then, then none of them kind of have viable farming. It's, it's too small to do it, to do it well. You guys tracking with me? So, so basically he says by having these other children, it jeopardizes you know, my kids or my current kids to be able to, to, to do this viably. So, um, so, so, so he turns it down. Now the text is really like, this is like, this is the moment. Like, I feel like we should have a verse saying, and saying, you know, like Boaz was really thrilled. He now gets to marry Ruth. Like everyone's happy. Like it, it, I, I don't know. We, I feel like we should have had more celebration inserted right here. Um, but it just, it just kind of keeps going on. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and it, this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Um, kind of odd, uh, but that's how they did things. The author, when they wrote this, Apparently, this was no longer a practice because they had to clarify this is how they did it back in the day, is that you took off your shoe and you gave it to the other guy. Uh, it is interesting, though, because as a historical book, this actually validates, as odd as it sounds, it actually validates that the transaction was done properly and legally for that time. So if you wanted to use the book of Ruth as some kind of a historical document because you're working on your, like, genealogy records or you're trying to figure out who actually owns what parcel of land and you're digging back in the archives you can actually look back and be like oh yeah no they did and the sandal right that happened so this was all done properly so um so they he gave him his shoe or they traded shoes whatever the guy walked around with only one shoe verse 9 then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Ch Chilion and Ma Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers from the gate of the native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz makes a speech. Good for him. Verse 11, then all the people who were gathered at the gate and the elders said. So we started with 10 elders, but we now have a crowd. I don't know why we had a crowd. Maybe it was like the wife and the kids like waiting for dad to hurry up because these were people just like you and I and there was shopping to do. Maybe they knew that this was kind of the final moment, the, you know, where that, that this had been happening. We knew that, that all the townspeople knew about Ruth. Uh, not sure, but we've got a crowd. They all say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May you have your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Sounds random. It's actually not. Um, first part, they say, may she be like uh, Rachel and Leah. Okay, these are the women who basically, you know, mothered all of Israel. Okay, very big blessing. They bring it down more regionally to, to Bethlehem. Ephrathah is just another name for Bethlehem. May you be famous in Bethlehem. 
Perez was one of his ancestors and one of kind of the founding people of Bethlehem. So this is someone in his specific line and, and, and sort of like smaller yet still, kind of one of the five founding families of Bethlehem. So they're, they're doing this blessing upon him, and they're just starting with all of Israel, our town, your family, you know, who, who helped found this town. So it gets big, it starts, and then gets smaller and more local. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So that covered a lot of territory. Um, the author proceeds to condense, like, the proposal and the engagement and the wedding rehearsal and the wedding and the reception dinner and the honeymoon and the announcement that she's pregnant and the big gender reveal and the baby shower and the birth. Like, this is a thousand and one Facebook posts, and here it gets, like, a verse and perhaps more graphic detail than we need. Um, like, actually, I probably could have cut out a line and been like, yeah, okay, I, I get it, we're good. So um, that gets a single verse. And then the focus shifts to Naomi. We actually don't, yeah, the, the focus shifts back to Naomi. Then the, woman's, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And they're actually speaking of the baby. They're not speaking of Boaz. They're speaking to this child, right? Because like a verse later, suddenly Ruth has a kid. Um, they're speaking of this child. May he be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law whom you love, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The women say that, that this child, this little baby, will give life and strength and energy to Naomi. And many of you who are grandparents could say, yep, that's pretty much how it works. This child is such a blessing that just by his presence, Naomi will experience life restored. The women praise Ruth. I mean, all throughout the book, Ruth is pretty much a rock star. Everyone has a lot of respect for her. Here they say that Ruth is so awesome and loves Naomi so deeply, and Naomi loves Ruth so much that she's better than seven sons. And a seven was a number of, of completion or of fullness, so it's a pretty big compliment. And then Naomi, Naomi becomes kind of this babysitter extraordinaire. Uh, but then the group of ladies named the child. I don't know if you caught that. To me, that's a bit odd. It's kind of like bringing your kid home and saying, what do you guys think? And then like the women's Bible study or the sewing circle, like they all get together and they're like, we think you should name him so-and-so because of whatever. So, uh, so that happens. The last words in the book of the Ruth read like this. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminibdab, Amminibdab fathered uh, Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. I don't think you and I will ever realize the, the pride, the awesomeness, the fame, the status of legend that comes, especially within the Jewish community, 
when you can say, I'm an ancestor of David. And even more so, I'm an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And because we don't really kind of understand the significance of being able to say that, we really don't realize how this, sent, this paragraph is actually such a remarkable crescendo to this entire story. I mean, it reads boring, but if you understand just the, 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 the pride and the significance of being able to say, like, we, we are the ancestors of David, you know, if we're in that community. I mean, this is, this is literally like one of the best rags to riches story that history ha- has ever known. Ruth goes from foreigner, from widow, from like part of an unrespected people group who worship false gods, to royalty. Right? She enters the lineage, lineage of kings and queens. Um, and actually the savior of the world. The, and it, this book begins with famine and starvation. It ends with harvest and a season of plenty. It begins with a funeral and death and loss. It ends with birth and new life and new beginning. It ends with widows, or it begins with widows, it ends with brides. It begins with pain, it ends with fullness and joy and the hope for the future. And that is why this book is such a remarkable story of redemption. I mean, in itself, it it is just kind of a great, well-written drama. But it's in Scripture, so it's part of a bigger story. So what is that bigger story? And what is it that this story in the New Testament is sort of foreshadowing that will take place in the New Testament? And it all comes back to redemption and how Christ relates to us and, and his interaction with us. Redemption is kind of one of those Christianese words. Um, I mean, it does appear in Scripture, but it's one of those words that, you know, like... Some scientist in the lab isn't writing, you know, and the potassium phosphate was redeemed by the oxidation. Right? Like, no one else uses words redemption, right? So it's, but, but redemption is to buy back, particularly out of slavery or out of debt. Or just out of a circumstance that you yourself cannot escape, someone else comes in and basically rescues you from that position and brings you into a better and good position. Boaz did that to Ruth. Christ does that with us. When I first read this chapter, I thought I was like, why does the author spend an entire chapter on boring legal proceedings? But it, it, it teaches us about redemption and about the, the character of God. First thing about redemption that, that you need to know about redemption. And you, we see this outlined in chapter 4 and we see it foretold as it pertains to Christ. First of all is that redemption is costly. Very costly to someone. Maybe not you if you're getting redeemed, but someone, for someone, redemption is very, very costly. I mean, Boaz still had to, had to buy the land from Naomi and, and get it from, you know, the, the, the other guy. I mean, the other guy said, the cost is too high, I can't do it. But Boaz loved Ruth, he wanted to marry her. We see that from, from conversations. And so because of his love for Ruth, the cost was paid without hesitation. Boaz gladly paid it. When Christ came to earth, I mean, he came, he taught for three years, he ultimately died on the cross. That was costly. That was very costly to him. The the physical pain that that he experienced, the the emotional pain 
of separation from the Father, the, the temptations, the struggles, everything that he went through. And yet Christ, like Boaz, was so incredibly generous and unselfish despite the cost. Christ gives us fulfilling life on earth and eternity with him and freedom from sin and power and authority by the Holy Spirit. Incredibly generous. I look at our world and, and I get frustrated and upset at times. I look at the genocide that, that we commit every year through our abortion rates in the U.S. and I get upset. I look at Syria and the over 400,000 civilians that have been killed in that civil war. I, I look at the orphanages in Ukraine. Orphans in Ukraine, are they have a place to stay until they finish grade 10. Then they're kicked onto the street with $200 cash in their pocket. And nobody really considers them employable. So over half the, the young men end up in prison and over half the women end up in prostitution. And that's frustrating to me. I get upset by that. And justice needs to be served for all of that. And yet if the world were to say Jesus, all that debt would be paid. We, we come to God and, and, and we ask God, can you handle my sin debt? I have this sin debt of $50,000 and it just seems so insurmountable. And, and it's like Jesus looks at us and says, oh, sweetie. I have a pile of checks here. Oh, look, this one could cover the U.S. national debt at $20 trillion if they were interested. Ooh, and I have one for Burundi and one for Cuba. Pretty sure we can handle yours. We look at the cross with such small eyes. We see our sin and it seems so big, but on the cross there is enough grace for all of Syria and all of Palestine and Israel and enough grace for Northern Ireland Enough grace for South Africa. Enough grace for every unborn child in the U.S. The cross was costly. Very costly. Because at the cross, if they accept it, all those debts were paid off. Redemption is costly. Redemption is a legal transaction. That's the next thing that, that, that we see as we move through this. Like we said earlier that, you know, the town gate is where all business was conducted. Boaz did it properly. He followed the correct legal cha channels, no shady backroom deals. The law had to be satisfied. It, it could not be bypassed. Ruth could not redeem herself. She needed another to do it, and she needed them to do it legally. Christ followed proper legal channels. Our sin demands payment. That's a law that has to be satisfied. It cannot be bypassed or skirted around. Or avoided, and so Christ did that fully, completely. There's a, a story of a young man who was arrested for speeding. He had broken the law. He goes before the judge. The judge says, "Yeah, you broke the law." And so your, you know, your your punishment is you either pay the fine of two hundred dollars or you go to jail. Problem being, though, that the young man didn't have the two hundred dollars. But the law is the law, and so the judge says you pay the two hundred dollars or you go to jail. But then the judge gets up from the bench, walks down around front, pulls out his wallet, and pays the $200 because the young man went his son. That's redemption. The third thing that is probably the most remarkable out of all this 
You see this for Ruth and for Naomi. For Ruth, it's a little bit more subtle. For Naomi, it's, it's quite vivid. But, but, but look at the transformation of both Ruth and Naomi, and look at the new identity that they received. Um, now, for Ruth, like her character wasn't changed, her, her values weren't changed, all of that w- was awesome. But for her, it was a little bit more external. But she's no longer the widow, now she's the wife. She's no longer the barren woman, now she's mom. She goes from poor and widowed to married and wealthy. She, all throughout the book, she's referred to Ruth the, the, the Moabite, but now she's Ruth, the wife of Boaz, father of Obed, part of royalty and, and this amazing lineage of David. Her life is now marked by marriage and happiness and, and motherhood. She starts off as a foreign girl who worshiped foreign gods, and, uh, and now she's, yeah, of the lineage of David, of Solomon, of Jesus Christ. Same thing with Christ. We receive new identity. We become children of God. We become part of the church. Like whether you like it or not, you're part of the church. doesn't even matter if you attend. You're part of the church. Like it's just kind of automatic membership that you're not allowed to get out of. You're part of the church. But perhaps the most remarkable story is with Naomi, and the author spends a bit more time on that. Because actually Ruth doesn't appear in all of chapter 4. Like she's talked about, but you really, I mean, other than that one verse where she has a kid, like that's really about it. The, the bulk of the, the end actually focuses in on Naomi. The book begins with Naomi fleeing to a foreign country and coming back broken, bitter. But, but her heart has changed. When that baby is placed in Naomi's lap, you will see the friends gather around here, around her. The, the women who said goodbye to Naomi when she left for Moab, these same women who welcomed Naomi back when it was just her and Ruth and all others had died, these same women who heard Naomi say, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because my life is bitter and God hates me, these same women gather around Naomi and they speak truth and love into her life and they say, blessed is the Lord who has not abandoned you. Like you sure thought he did, but he didn't. They say, blessed is the Lord who provided for you even when you were mad at him and you blamed all your sorrows on him. Blessed is the Lord who even though you were resolutely convinced that your life was over and that you would never have children and never have grandchildren, and even though you saw no hope, the Lord provided hope and he provided children and grandchildren and he gave you the desires of heart even when you saw just impossibility. In the storyline, Naomi's story is a little bit more in the background, but I actually think it's one of the most remarkable parts of the story out of all of it. What Boaz did for Ruth, how he paid the costly price, how he followed the law, how he provided new identity, all these things Christ does for you or is willing to do for you. Like we said earlier, the book begins with a famine and starvation. It ends with harvest. And a season of plenty. It begins with a funeral and death and loss. It ends with birth and new life and new beginnings. It begins with widows. It ends with brides. It begins with pain and it ends with fullness and joy and hope for the future. And that is why this book is such a remarkable redemption story. But that is also why it really needs to be your story as well. Amen. Heavenly Father.
thank you for this book of Ruth and all that it teaches us about you. God, it's amazing what you did in Ruth's life. It's amazing what you did in Naomi's life. God, it's a fun story. It's a good story. It's a captivating story. And yet, Lord, it foreshadows how you treat us and how you interact with us and our own journey as well, too. God, I pray that for myself and for all of those here, for anyone listening, that this would be our story, that we would see ourselves in this story, that we would see you in this story, that, God, we would be able to draw parallels between this story and our life and how you redeem us and rescue us, Lord. God, we know that that certainly spiritually we are in situations that just feel um, beyond us. Sometimes here on, on earth it just feels like we're in situations where it's nothing but hopelessness all around us. And yet this story reminds us that you remain faithful and that you redeem and that you provide. God, thank you for this story. And thank you that it can be our story as well, too. We love you, Lord. Amen. Our God is never late. He's always on time. Lord, rescue us to bring beauty from ashes. And he lifts us up and sets us in a firm place to stand. So let's sing today. Stand and sing as we trust in our God who is our rescuer.
your prayer. Never late, and you know exactly what it is you need. You're dismissed.